Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and a very warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. I'm Amber Sherlock and this is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you with two experts, one hour. It's Friday, the 16th of September, 2022. Our two experts on today's show here for the full hour are Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Thank you both for your time today. It is great to have you with us. Let's get straight into it. And first, we're going to go to the stock of the first five stocks of today. We're going to get the experts' opinions on Star Farmer, Diverger, NAB, RPM Global Holdings and Fortescue. But before we do that, uh, we're going to go to our stock of the day, which is Atlas Arteria. Now, Atlas Arteria has slumped in morning trade as the toll operator resumes trading following its $2.5 billion equity raising to fund its stake in Chicago Skyway. Atlas Arteria CEO Graham Bevan says the acquisition of Skyway meets key strategic objectives for Atlas Arteria, including growth to security holders. Let's see how those shares are <coughs> trading as we head into the afternoon. Uh, just taking a look there. Yeah, they're not doing too badly. They were down. They've come back a little bit on the day. Claude, let's go to you first. What's your take on Atlas Arteria? Um, yeah, so they are down today, but I think that's probably mostly because I think the capital raising price was below the prevailing share price, as is normally the case. Um, I don't know why it said 9% there. I'm seeing 15% here, but uh, basically... I think that because shareholders can now buy, I think it's $6.30, you'd sort of expect the share price to drop. And um, that sort of reflects the fact that it's quite a large capital raising as well, I think. Um, so it's a matter of supply and demand pushing the share price today. You know, hypothetically, you'd want to own this as a dividend stock. Personally, it's not the kind of business that I study closely or have that much interest in because... Uh, it is a fairly capital-intensive business with the toll roads and all the maintenance costs and et cetera, et cetera, which is obviously not something that I consider that that is very attractive. Um, obviously, at least they are sort of often monopoly-esque assets. So, you know, it could be a decent company, but it's just a bit out of my wheelhouse. So a buy, a sell or a hold from you? I mean, I, I guess I'd say hold if you know what you're doing, otherwise sell. Um, That'd be that'd be what I I personally wouldn't hold it. I'd prefer just hold cash. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a bad dividend stock necessarily. I just don't like that kind of capital intensity. No problem, Luke. What do you? What's your view? Yeah, as Claude said, it's it's a big raise, um, and and it's an interesting one because this is a business where normally you see um, a fair bit of debt used to, to to fund these sorts of acquisitions. But in this case, you know, the three billion purchase price will be completely funded by the raise they're doing. Um, and the way these things normally work is, is, you know, a company may sound out some of its larger shareholders or some large institutions and try and get a feel as to, you know, if we were going to raise a big chunk of equity, what sort of price and, and maybe there's some, some back and forth behind the, the Chinese walls. Um, and it's a, it's a big discount, you know, 17% discount to that last traded price says that 
um, you know, to, to stump up this big chunk of equity. Institutions in particular um, weren't willing to do it anywhere near the prevailing the prevailing price. So no surprise to see the reaction today. Um, management are claiming that they're acquiring a, a Chicago-based toll road, just for a bit of context. Management are claiming there'll be some um, accretion at a, at, a, at a per share level. Now, that surprises me because it's completely funded by equity, and, and I think they've paid you know a, a pretty top price for this asset. Um, so that accretion, if you if you read through the presentation materials, they're talking about loading that asset, loading that asset up with debt further on down the track, or the cash flows from that asset being able to put more debt at the corporate level. So. As a shareholder today, you've got to take a bit of a leap of faith here with management. There's a lot of questions around what's going on. A major shareholder is potentially looking at um, taking over the whole company. They're not quite happy with how things are going. I, I My final takeaway, Amber, like Claude, I think you hold if you're there. Like It's a defensive asset. If you're the sort of investor who owns this already, you know why you own it. It's a toll road. The toll road they've bought you know, has, a, has an 80-year um, license life with, with Chicago, um, oh, sorry, the Illinois government. Um, so, you know, you're there for that defensiveness, you're there for a dividend yield. If you're someone on the sidelines, you probably wait to see a few of these things wash out and just see what's going on with that major shareholder, wait to see how they implement this this acquisition. Um, but yeah, yeah, hold it, hold it if you're there. It's a whole road sort of real defensive asset. Two holds from Claude and Luke for our stock of the day, which is Atlas Arteria. Okay, let's get right into the first five stocks as picked by our viewers. Steve wants to know about Star Pharma, which is a global biopharmaceutical company and a world leader in the development of new pharmaceutical and medical products. It's developed a COVID antiviral nasal spray that's registered in more than 30 countries, although that isn't approved for sale or supply yet in Australia. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, these guys have been around for a while. So their, their main product is called Viva Gel. I remember that from, from many years ago, first looking at this business. They're still selling that. It's uh, it's like a, a vaginal cream for, for bacteria. Um, and, you know, it generates a little bit of revenue for them and some profitability. Um, they've pivoted to this viral ease as the COVID nasal spray. Look, you know, we know what's happening with COVID. Perhaps there's uses beyond COVID. But, of course, I think that, that the peak of that market's probably past them you know before they could really get the regulatory approvals and and really hit that market um looking at the presentation that they put out around their latest financial reports i think most of the excitement in this business now is around um a product they have called dep and i must admit i tried to look at what that that acronym stood for and i couldn't find it <laughs> um, but it's a it's a nanoparticle drug delivery and they're partnering with some really major um, companies over in the us like um, astrazeneca um, and merck um, focusing on, on oncology drugs so so you know cancer cancer drugs obviously big market anyone who really taps into that with any great success is very lucrative um, so that's the excitement behind the business, but it's still very, very early days. These things are still in phase one, phase two trials. And ultimately, because of that, it's not really my style. It doesn't just have that certainty. Um, still burning a fair bit of cash, but the balance sheet's not too bad, 50 mil on the bank. Look, if you're an investor who wants to take on a little bit of extra risk and maybe you like what these guys are doing, or even more importantly for me, if you're somehow in that space and have some sort of edge over, you know, into the IP they've developed and, and you know, why it may be different to, to some other drugs on the market or going through trials, you can maybe have a look at this. But for me, it's not my style of business. Again, like Atlas Arteria, I'd hold if you're there because you know, you know why you're there for that sort of speculation, but it's not my style ever, so um, I'd, I'd stay away. Okay, Claude, do you agree with Luke? Uh, yeah, I, with the conclusion anyway, I agree with everything he said. I guess I'd also add, you know, 
I saw oh, there'd been a little bit of a director uh, purchase recently, and uh, I was wondering how significant that would be. I think it was only about seventeen thousand dollars, and then that made me check the CEO's salary, which was a, I think over five hundred thousand dollars per year plus uh, some pretty big cash bonuses as well. Um, I think it was uh, five forty in salary plus one hundred ninety four in uh, cash bonuses in twenty twenty one, and then in twenty twenty two. Um, 515 in salary and 179 in cash bonus. I haven't even started talking about the, the other forms of remuneration that she gets and then even also the other executives and board members. So I think that if anyone should, uh, is a shareholder in this, they should really focus on their experience as a shareholder in the last two years and also compare that to the experience of these key executives and board members and figure out who who's really doing well out of this one. Okay, so for you, it'd be a hold or a sell? No, no I would sell it. Okay. No, definitely, definitely sell a sell. It. Like the share price in the look at the last two years of share price. Like that was a massively hyped up share price. This is like a buy. Yeah, all the hopes and dreams is is what's going on here. So, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't be buying into some hopes and dreams story right now. And your your focus is on the remuneration of the top execs. You're saying I, it's that's too high. Just, one punchy way of me saying that uh, some people are doing really well out of this, but it's not the shareholders. But, you know, it, nobody benefits from buying into hyped up biotech. This thing has 4 million and something in revenue. The year before that, it was something like 2.2 uh, million. The year before that, it was 6.6 .6 million. So there's not even any clear growth trajectory. Like, it just doesn't, like, I don't understand the actual performance of this company versus um, the pay that people are getting is wild to me. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. And our next stock is from Tim. He wants to know about Diverger. Uh, Diverger provides integrated accounting and wealth management services to the Australian market. Uh, Claude, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so Diverger is actually one that I own shares in. At times, unhappily, there's been a bit of a saga uh, with this stock in the sense that I sort of bought it because I thought it was a fairly cheap dividend stock with honest, competent management. And then the board did something really wild, which was like proposed to issue heaps of shares and take on a lot of debt to buy another company with the other company trading at a higher multiple of, I think, a bit than even Diverger was. So it's almost like the opposite of what you do if you want to create value. So, of course, um, I can no longer sign off on like thinking this is a good company because of that fact. However, I note since then they've somewhat redeemed themselves in my eyes because um, when they first put out their results, they their unaudited results they didn't even mention a dividend they'd sort of made comments previously that suggested that they were going to keep their dividend flat even though their earnings per share were going up which is just wrong and for this kind of business you really need them to pay you the dividend as a shareholder as a sign that they care about you in any way whatsoever if they're just going to go and go after these massive empire building acquisitions then i'll definitely sell my shares however for now i do still hold them they're just on uh i'll say they're, they're on thin ice with me, but they did increase that dividend and I respect that they actually are paying me more money. That's five cents dividend for the year versus a share price of currently a dollar and five. So not too bad. And um, you look, I'd sell if the dividend yield got too low, basically. But as long as they keep increasing dividends, then I'm not really that worried about needing to sell if they don't do some crazy acquisition. Uh, Luke, do you agree with Claude? Um, yeah, to, to a large degree. I'm glad you started with Claude because I, I knew that he, he'd owned it and, and written about it in the past, knows it a bit better than me. Um, look, I, I think he, his um, assessment is, is pretty much correct. There is a risk that not just Diverger, there's a few other listed players in this sort of um, financial planning, accounting services space 
um, you, you could definitely see them go on some sort of empire building run because there's so many different verticals they can they can touch a, across that space um, on, on the compliance side, funds management, training, com, you know, just there's, there's a wealth of things they can go and do. Um, and so to see a management team sort of bed down their core competencies, focus on them, you know, even if that does mean more conservative growth than maybe what you could get if you were more aggressive. Um, but return capital to shareholders through dividends. I think that's probably the right way to think about this stock. Um, you know, the dividend's about 5%. That's pretty good. You know, um, you take on a bit of extra risk being a micro cap in a bit more volatile industry. Um, the other thing I'd note with this one is, is Hub24, Hub you know, a much larger list of business, owns 30% of Diverger. Um, and, you know, there's something will happen there at some point. I, I don't suspect they'll just sit there holding Diverger, you know, for many years into the future. Be that at some point as Diverger starts to grow, Hub maybe acquires them, or I'm not sure. You know, whatever may happen, just just be aware that that Hub ownership sits there, and I suspect something will happen at some point with that. Um, but other than that, look, they've got some some FY25 targets out there that look pretty conservative for some low double-digit growth. As Claude says, they've sort of you know we'll, we'll leverage that into some EPS growth and hopefully some dividend growth. Um, so I, I'd definitely hold it if you're there. And if you're someone who's willing to take on a bit more risk with micro caps, put it on your watch list. Um, this is this is a, a, a nice steady compounding sort of business or, or definitely could be. Okay. Well, you seem to be in agreement today, gentlemen. It's all going very well. I'm expecting some arguments soon, though. Let's go on to stock number three, uh, which is from Josh. He wants the expert's opinion on NAB. Luke, what are your thoughts on NAB at the moment? Are they a buy, hold or a sell? Well, I don't think the divergence between Claude and I will start here, Amber. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're small cap investors and, 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 you know, this is probably like the fourth or fifth largest business on the ASX. Um, and for me, it's a challenged business. It, it has been for many years. If you bring up a long-term chart of NAB, the share price says it all. Like, the business has barely budged for 15, 20 years. Um, you know, the, the prevailing bull case for, for NAB and I guess the other big banks, you can lump them all together, is that as interest rates rise, they can expand that net interest margin and, and earn more money. Um, that's true. Like, you know, that will happen. It's already happening. They're passing on, you know, interest rate rises quicker than what they're doing to their to their savings and term deposit rates. Um, but for me, the the offset you get from that of a weak housing market more than more than you know offsets that sort of gain you could you could get. Um, someone I can't remember who it was, sorry, but someone was on the call yesterday with Westpac pointing out that these guys are they're, they're building societies you know they've spun off every other asset they had from from wealth planning insurance um it's, it's all gone um it's just it's just home loans basically um, nab does a little bit more business loans than the rest i'll give them that credit but but you know still dominated by home loans still very exposed to that housing market and, and to me that weakness there would, would override anything else so Look, I, I would sell NAB for, for, you know, myself personally. I know most people who own NAB, you know, why they do. It's a, it's a big, safe business. It will be around for the next 50, 100 years. You do get a pretty um, consistent dividend out of it. So if, if you're comfortable with that, you could hold it. But anyone who wants any sort of capital growth, it's, it's a pretty clear sell. Yeah, I, I hear that you said, you know, it's a challenge business, which I think would allow many mum and dad investors because so many people do hold shares in NAB, uh, but you're just saying it's not going to really make much money except, you know, that, that dividend price is just sort of staying where it is. Is that what you're seeing in the long, short and long term? 
Pretty much. I mean, you get a, you get a stable dividend, but but of course, you know, the, the the capital share price underneath isn't really growing. So, you know, in a sense, the, the business just just ticks along. You know, maybe grows a little bit every few years, and then gives some back every few years. Um, they embark on some IT refreshment, then right <laughs> off that, you know, three or four years later, it's it's been a it's been the same story for, for like I said, 15, 20 years. I don't expect that to change. So, are look, you lumping all the, are you lumping all the banks in with this? Look, CBA is is better, but CBA is very expensive. So, you know, again, I, I sort of have to take off my, you know, Luke Winchester small cap hat and, and put on, if I own NAB, I'm probably a retiree and I just want the, the safe, um, secure dividend. You would hold it for that. But like I said, anyone who wants any sort of growth out of their investment portfolio, I, I, I struggle to argue how any of the big four banks get a place. Claude, what are your thoughts? Well, I definitely agree with it being a dividend stock and that would be the main reason and only reason that you'd be interested in holding it. Look, I agree with what Luke said and some of the risk-reward thing. The one thing I'll add to that is, say, for me personally, I'm like probably uh, have a fair bit of assets in the property market compared to my total assets already. So like a bit of a split between shares and uh, property for me. So for me, I'm really not looking to um, put in my stock market money into the property market as well, which is kind of how I see investing in the big banks. And sort of zooming in on that point, um, that Luke brought up about them being building societies like, you know, ultimately, yeah, okay, so in the short term, interest rates might somehow mean that their net interest margins a bit better for a bit or, or something. But longer term, high interest rates means lower property prices, which is going to mean smaller loan sizes. And generally, also, if it gets really bad risk of, you know, problems with defaults and stuff like that for the bank. So it's a lot of extra leverage on the property market, which I'll already be feeling um, by the fact that um, I own property or my family owns property. So I don't really need extra leverage into that at the moment. So it's a sell for you as well? Yeah, but obviously that that's, a, I guess, that's just another consideration. Every That's depends on the particular situation that the person is in. You know, I guess the, the big banks are too big to, to fail. So in the very long term, they should just roughly track, um, you know, Australia's uh, progress and GDP growth. Okay, let's move on to stock four. It is RPM Global Holdings, and this one's from one of our viewers, Simon. RPM Global is a software company for the mining industry, from financial analysis and reporting to scheduling and design. Luke, a buy, hold, or sell from you? I can't actually hear you, Luke. So we'll just uh, stop I, you there, Luke. I can't hear you. Yeah, we can't hear you. So just we're going to get That's... we're going to get your audio back. Sorry. Oh. I was on mute. Oh, you're on mute. Oh, there we go. Let's try again. <laughs> I was actually saying to send it to Claude first because he knows this one. Okay, Let, me, let's so. send it to Claude first. That was that, that was the universe uh, telling us to send it to Claude. Off you go. Okay, so I'm. Well, I updated my Excel charts and, and shared them on Twitter today, just with uh, RPM Global's most recent results. And what I'm looking at there is uh, that. Um, they're at this juncture where, so what they do is they mostly sell um, software to mining companies. On top of that, they do some advisory work for mining companies. Now the advisory business doesn't have any interest to me except as I guess a channel for selling their software. So I'm totally focused on the software. Now over the last few years, they've been transitioning software from a um, sort of more license-based model where you get that money up front and, and then a less money in maintenance afterwards so that might be uh, one million dollars up front and then 
$100,000 for 10 years, that would be $2 million in total. Um, in comparison, they'd be moving more to a subscription model where maybe they just get $250,000 from that same client every year. Now, over 10 years, the subscription model will be better because um, it, it, it's worth more. It'll be worth $25 million. Plus, they can put it up along the way, if, presumably. Um, whereas with the license model, um, you get more upfront. So in the short term, that depresses your re revenue at growth as you um, go through this transition. And that's what you can see if you look at the chart that I tweeted and the article I linked to explaining this. As you can see over the last you know, four or five halves, they've had pretty flat revenue growth and it's just started to tick up now. But while that's been happening, you've had you know, fast growth in um, annualized recurring revenue from subscriptions, which is a smaller number of are just 32.8 million at, at end of June. So that puts the company on around 11.6 times that higher quality annualized subscription re revenue, which means that it's actually still a fairly high priced, um, unprofitable growth stock at the moment. Um, the reason I hold this share, this stock is because basically one is assuming and believing that in the next few years, you'll start to see that operating leverage come through as revenue goes up costs will remain fairly flat and it should become a profitable company, I would hope in the next year, if not soon after. And then also we'll have a few years of really strong profit growth as that operating leverage uh, with, with revenue growth just falls to the bottom line as they're selling software. It's not too capital intensive to accommodate another customer. They do have some implementation costs, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, that's the play there. That's why I own shares. Look, I'd love to buy it at a cheaper price. I think it's held up pretty well just because mining companies have been doing well. So you could assume that the demand will remain strong for RPM Global Software. Okay, uh, so it's a buy? For me, for me, it is a buy, but I've already bought some. I'm not, buy, I'm not planning to buy until if it probably comes down a little bit. I'm kind of hoping that with the volatility and the sell-off we're, we're seeing with high inflation fears, it's one that I'm hoping would come down a little bit. So that, that's what I'm hoping for. Okay, one to keep your eye on. Uh, Luke, do you agree with Claude? Um, yeah, it was it was good. You know, Claude, I think, gave a fantastic insight into the business and importantly, that that dynamic where you pivot from that that upfront licensing to to the recurring subscription and, and what that does to, to the reported financials, because you go from, you know, generating revenue of a million dollars up front to generating 250,000 in Claude's example. So your your reported numbers to the market look very messy. And a lot of businesses have been through the transition and um, you know, the market can see through it. They know what's happening. Um, but nonetheless, you know, you look at um, RPM Global, the last four or five years, their earnings have been stuck between sort of four and five million as they make this transition. Um, but FY23, they're now largely through it. And you should be seeing that first sign of, of, of nice, clean reporting and, and those earnings really fall into the bottom line. And that's what they've guided for. So they've guided for 14 million uh, in, in EBITDA um, in FY23. It's a, it's a big jump. It's, you know, 250% growth. Um, you know, and it's probably the first sign that you know you now get, like I said, see that clean that clean set of financials come through. Yeah, that puts it on about 27 times, as Claude says, on a revenue basis. It's it's pretty expensive as well, so it's not cheap. Um, but it's in a it's in a nice spot with some niche software. Really has the ability to land and expand. They continually bring out new modules for their software, and, and you know not just grow new customers, but within their existing customers. Um, a lot of things to like here. So look, it's it's for the more high risk investor because. Um, you know, you may be taking a little bit of a leap of faith that that guidance and that execution does come through. 
Um, but you know, if it does, I think you've got a business trading on a you know elevated price, but the growth is very strong, and, and that leverage will, will really fall through. You know, they're guiding twenty percent revenue growth to, like I said, two hundred and fifty percent profit growth. So you should see that continue to happen, and that multiple can quickly come down as that leverage um, kicks in. So you know, I would say a buy as well, but but on that caveat, you know, we, we came from from um, NAB and Diverger, those more safe, <laughs> steady businesses. This is for your higher risk uh, investors, but but certainly one to look at. Okay, more agreements. The gentlemen are certainly on the same wavelength today. Let's look at stock five. It's from Rachel. Okay, another big one here. She wants to know about Fortescue, which is, of course, the fourth largest iron ore producer in the world. Claude, what would you do here? Buy, hold, or sell? Uh, I guess I'd sell it, uh, but or hold it. But it depends what kind of investor you are. For me, I would see uh, iron ore risk around the potential for a slowdown in china and building in china they've got you know a strange economy so there's no guarantee that there will be a slowdown anytime soon and people have been saying that they've overbuilt for ages but the truth of the matter is that in modern societies and and cities you do get to a point where you need for new steel uh, goes down massively after a lot of the physical infrastructure build has happened so like yeah let's see what happens there but otherwise i think it's a good company a good a uh, mining company, well-run, probably going to be around for a really long time. So not against it, but just absolutely mining companies are not where I invest anyway. So I don't see any, and I don't see any sort of short-term reason that this would um, be attractive, but I don't think it's terrible either. Yeah, I mean, over we just saw the charts there over five years, up 219%. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, and I, and I never bought it. I never, I never went long um, Fortescue, so I didn't benefit a single dollar from that. So perhaps that would sort of uh, colour how much you'd even weight my opinion on this one. Um, but nonetheless, I, I still think that the current uh, setting, I guess, has been kind of favourable for iron ore prices, and uh, there's some risk to the downside there. Okay, Luke, what do you think? Yeah, look, I think Claude's thinking about it the right way. Um, you know, the, the the big input to this business is iron ore prices, and, and the big input to iron ore prices is China. So you sort of need that second level thinking of, of whatever your opinion is on, on the Chinese economy and will they continue to grow at the same rates and consume steel at the same rates. Um, you know, the iron ore price got to above $200 a tonne um, back in 2021, fell to below 100, got to 150, and now it's back to, to around 100 again. So it's been very volatile. You know, Fortescue and BHP and Rio have managed it all very well. Um, it's, it's an exceptionally well-run business. Um, I'll probably be a little bit more positive than Claude and say definitely if you own it, continue to hold it. I mean, the, the business is executed fantastically. Um, we'll wait and see what happens with the Fortescue Future Industries, but I commend them. Like, you know, they're going to commit several billion dollars to um, hydrogen and other forms of green energy. Now, you know, the technology may need to catch up to what they want to do, but, um, you know, I, 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 like I said, I commend them for at least giving it a go and sort of recognising where their business may need to be in the future. Um, but, yeah, look, I would continue to hold it. My one comment I jotted down was um, don't look at what they did last year and try to extrapolate that. So, you know, if you look at, at, at last year's earnings, this business trades about six times earnings. looks exceptionally cheap. But like I said, that's them capturing some some record iron ore prices that have already come down. So we start FY23 already at depressed levels. So that profit number will come down this year. Um, you know, not, not crazy, but, but it will come down. 
the business, it, it's hard to say exactly. It probably trades on, on, you know, sort of 15 to 16 times earnings on, on my sort of very rough numbers. And that's not too bad. So I'd, I'd continue to hold and, and certainly um, let a good management team continue to execute. Okay, great. Let's summarise the first five stocks and the stock of the day that we've talked about. Uh, of course, our stock of the day was. Oh, let's go to the. Let's go to our five stocks first. That's what we can see up on screen. Let's go to Star Pharma first. Uh, Claude said it is ca uh, definitely sell for Star Pharma. Some people are doing well. It's not the shareholders. <laughs> Luke, uh, early days. The balance sheet isn't too bad if you're an investor that wants to take on risk or in that space. Have a look. Hold if you're already there. Uh, if we look at Diverger next, Claude says hold, they are on thin ice, they've increased the dividend, sell if the dividend yield goes too low, while Luke says hold if you're there, if you're willing to take on more risk, uh, put it on your watch, uh, dividend's about 5%. Moving on to the big one, which is NAV, Claude, sell depending on your situation, it is a dividend stock. Uh, Luke also says sell, so they're agreeing there, if you want growth, it is a fairly challenged business, as is interest rates uh, go up, they can earn more money. All right, moving on to RPM Global Holdings. Claude says buy. Hoping it comes down a little bit as revenue goes up, costs should stay flat and it will have a strong profit growth. Uh, Luke is also a buy for RPM Global, a nice spot with some niche software, a lot of things to like, but probably for the high risk investor. Uh, let's move on to Fortescue. Uh, Claude says sell or hold, depending on what kind of investor you are. While Luke says it's a well-run business and definitely if you own it, hold it for now. And if we go back to the stock of the day, we were of course talking about Atlas Arteria. Uh, Claude says it's a capital intensive business, so not that attractive. Hold if you know what you're doing, otherwise it's a sell. While Luke says hold if you're there, if you're an investor, you know why you're there. If you're on, your si on the sidelines, then probably it's a wait for now. All right, and the call is tracking our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at osbiz.com. So let's check in with that portfolio update. So heading into September, Universal Store, NextDC, The Lottery Corp, ResMed and Oz Minerals were removed. Karoon Energy, Boss Resources, Washington H. Souls Pats, Premier Investments and South 32 were added. So let's take a look at how that portfolio is performing. So far, our fund is up 3.14% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Welcome back. I hope you're having a great Friday. It is time now to look at the next five stocks we're going to review today. Uh, number six today is Australian Ethical, followed by Whisper. Then we have Dicadata, Helios and Clinavel Pharma. So they're the next five we're going to have a look at. They are the viewer picks. Uh, stock number six is Oz Ethical from Anton. It's Australia's largest 100% ethical investment manager based in Sydney. It has $6.2 billion in funds under management and over 83,000 clients. Let's go first to you, Luke. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, look, it's it's a tough market for fund managers, um, and, and so Australian Ethical. It's also a, a much higher valued fund manager. Trades at a very elevated multiple. So you combine two things that's been very difficult for this business to really outperform over the last year or so. 
Um, but these guys do a lot of things right. And, and, and even just in the break, Amber, I, I jumped onto Google and, and typed in ethical investing. And, and you know, they're still top, top search engine result on Google. They're, they're fantastic on social media. They really go after that target market of, of the younger generation. And of course, because it's a super product, um, you know, there's there's decades of compulsory super contributions from a lot of those 80,000 members you're just talking about due to come in over the next, you know, many, many years. So a lot of things to like about the business, um, the, the the multiple and the environment we're in, like I said, makes it very tough for, for listed fund managers. Um, I think anybody who owns it today or are looking at it, you've got to take a, a pretty long-term view with this business and maybe even disregard where it's been back in sort of 2020, 2021. That was a, a very different time on markets for that sort of exuberance we had um, and the growth that many companies were able to achieve. Um, they've got a deal with Christian Super, which will tack another couple of billion dollars onto that fund base. Um, the, the one sort of not massive red flag I've got with the business, but they've never been able to penetrate into that real institutional market. And, and even in the latest results had outflows from their institutional clients. It's, it's not for me, it's not a thesis breaker. I don't think you're there for this business to tap into, into you know, um, the big institutions delivering hundreds of billions of dollars in fund. Um, they earn very good fees from their retail super base. And I think that's the, that's the core of the business and what you really want to see continue. But it is something to note. Um, overall, look, I, I would probably hold it if you're there. Um, it's a very liquid stock as well, so it's difficult to get in and out of. But if you build a position, you've got to be in it for the long term, though. If you're someone who's looking for that short-term trade, I'd probably look elsewhere, to be honest, because the environment is very tough for these guys. Their funds would be under their high watermarks for performance fees. Um, it's difficult to go out and, and sort of win new business in, in this sort of volatility as well. So hold if you're there, but um, otherwise put on your watch list. I think it's a very well-run business for, for what they do. Is it on your watch list, Claude? Actually, it's in my portfolio, but I'm in the unfortunate situation of having to uh, criticize a company that I own shares in. Like, this is definitely closer to a sell than a buy for me. I agree with um, all of the bull points that Luke said, but, and I'll just add one thing to that, which is that the really nice thing about Australian Ethical is it has a slightly younger superannuation um, membership base than the population at large. So a lot of uh, millennials and Gen X and, and then increasingly Gen Z as well. So they'll be contributing for a long time. The skew's nice there. Um, I think it's a complete waste of time that they even pursue institutional advisor and other markets. They should just focus on the director retail, um, focus on what they do well, uh, cut costs. But these guys definitely grow for growth's sake. There's some institutional imperative just to grow because for them, when this company was started, like it was definitely started by a lot of people and a lot of people probably still working there today who basically they're signed on a mission and they want to get more money invested behind ethical investment strategies. So as a result of that, you wouldn't put it in the absolute like the capitalist dream. I feel like it could definitely, like, it always puts down fees, for example. And that's fine. Even as a shareholder, I don't mind that. Um, but some of these things to remember. And also, yeah, you want to worry about the performance with the current situation where coal companies have been the stars of the show for the last six months or more. I think it's fair to say that um, their returns relative to the market are going to be uh, challenged in the next couple of years, which could slow them down as well. So I am a shareholder. I actually personally do believe in their mission as well. Um, however, it's definitely closer to a sell. I was actually considering selling my shares at above $6 in the hope to buy them back cheaper, but it's only a small position for me. So it's well above my desired buy price at the moment. I'd call it a hold at best.
I was going to but say, for me, it's probably sell, a hold. You said closer to a sell than a buy, and then you've just said that you're holding them. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 consistent, right? right. I'm holding them, but, yep. but at the current price, I'd be closer to selling them than I would be to buying them. Okay, all right. Well, we have a few different... Well, they're sort of both on a hold there, and yeah... Um, it'll be very interesting, as you both say. It does have a younger market, which could be seen as a positive thing, but maybe uh, one for the watch list for now. Okay, stock seven is Whisper, which is a cloud-based communication platform. Uh, Claude, what are you thinking? Uh, I think that this is a really funny one. Um, look, I haven't actually written about this one for years. Um, I think I wrote an article a few years ago on, which was on selling Whisper, I think it was called, and that pretty much explains... Um, the, this thing got super overhyped, become a complete small cap uh, fundy favorite. And the actual business model has a, a big flaw in that it kind of got treated like it was some like really great tech stock, but it's actually a really thin bit of software that um, is essentially the company is responsible for reselling uh, telecommunications. So text messages when you've got a organize um to pick up a parcel maybe or agl or, or Qantas or whoever it is i can't remember the exact companies now but if they've got an automated text system saying you know your water is going to be off today that might come from whispers so you can see obviously that there's a um a demand tailwind there because more companies are going to be using that and that's why i owned it for the demand tailwind however if like in reality in order to be a sustainable business that earns excess profits and creates value, you need to have some competitive advantage, which allows you to sort of exert pricing power on, on your customers, like they need to use you. And I think that there's like multiple ways to skin this particular cat. You, you can definitely um, definitely do these kind of functions without the use of um, Whisper and Companies know that, so I don't think that they'll ever have amazing uh, pricing power. They're always going to have to be pretty competitive. I, yeah, and they also they don't have power on the selling side of it either, because for example, they you know have partnerships with other bigger companies that like I think Telstra is a big one that um, sells their product, and so you know Telstra is going to want a, a chunk of it as well there. Yeah. So as a result, these guys have much lower margins than say a pure software company. I think. And yeah, for me, it's just they're also losing money. There's, um, there'll be a time and a place when this does have a value for sure. But right now, uh, I think that they, you shouldn't anchor to the past prices of this stock. Like they were wildly uh, overvalued then. Uh, so a sell. Yeah, it'd be a sell for yeah. me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. it It'll be more interesting when it gets cash flow positive. I'm glad you explained actually what they did because I looked at it for a while. I was like, it's very hard to work out what they actually do. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it was good background from Claude into into the product. And, and that's often hard to do as investors for, for things like this, um, you know, because you get the glossy presentations, but the actual nitty gritty of, of what they do is sometimes difficult to get your head around. Um, look, I'll attack it maybe from from a capital point of view. So, you know, the chart was just flashed up before, and, and that's a chart that's pretty common to a lot of tech stocks right now. You know, there's a massive boom through 2020, 2021, and of course, you know, lost it all and then some into 2022. Big, big declines, 80, 90 percent, some of them. Um, and what's happened is the markets turned around and said we want sustainability. You know, the, the days of growth at any costs and, and you know, burning so much cash are, are finished. You need to get to that cash flow sustainability, as Ford alluded to. He would come back and look at it at that point. I think that's the view of a lot of people. 
Um, and I, I think the market at, at a basic level just doesn't believe what management's saying if you look at their last report. So they said that they have enough capital. They've got $26 million in the bank. They think that gets them to that point of where they can be self-sufficient and generating their own internal cash. Um, but they burned $20 million last year. And unfortunately, um, a big chunk of their revenue came from COVID alerts. As, as Ford said, you know, you get the SMS alerts for, for packages and things. Uh, you know, 10 million odd revenue came from from COVID alerts, which you know, doesn't go to zero, but, but uh, a big chunk of that will come away. So I think the market's looking at all these things and saying we don't quite believe the, the guidance that you can get to that cash flow positivity, that some sort of equity injection will be needed into this business. To be honest, I probably agree with the market. I, I, I think they need to go a bit further into their cost cutting of that expense base. Um, and the big one for me is they're, they're spending a lot of money trying to get into the US and you're just not seeing the traction. Um, you know, if I saw management really wind back that and, and focus on the core Australian business, which is quite profitable, that'd be another thing that would get me interested. Look, I, I probably won't be as negative of Claude just because of where the share price is. If you've ridden this down all the way, you probably hold it from here and, and hope that management can execute to, to what they've said. But if you are on the sidelines, there's just no need to jump in right now. You know, you can wait for a bit more clarity around that capital position, make sure that, that you know, they're not burning that, that cash pile they've got and, and they can get through to where they need to be. So I'd, I'd hold it if you're there, but probably with low conviction. If, if you do see another sign that, that that spend isn't really fixing itself, you might want to hit the exit. Okay, let's move on to stock eight. And it's a pretty popular one with viewers. We've actually had four requests for this one. We've had Jim, Robin, Damien and Ray. It's about Dicker Data and it's a locally owned and operated distributor of ICT hardware, software and cloud solutions for reseller partners. Uh, Luke, what's your take on this one? Yeah, Dicker Data has been a fantastic business. And, and, and you know, as you said, it's, it's a very, um, the, the distribution of IT products, it, it's simple, it should be basic, it, it, it is low margin. Um, so it should be very difficult for a business to carve out exceptional returns the way Dicker Data has done. But um, they have, and that, that's a real credit to management. They do it in a very unique style. They incentivize their staff, um, or their key staff anyway, um, on a percentage of profit. So, you know, staff are really incentivized to grow this business. Um, the managing director, um, or I'm sorry, chairman of the board, doesn't take a salary. And so, you know, incentivized to, to, to have high dividend payout ratios and things like that. So it's a unique business in a lot of ways. Um, I guess you can't go back and get Nicodata's historical returns, though. So you've got to look at it for where we sit today. Um, and it's a business that probably over-earned the last couple of years. Yeah, um, supply chain issues. over one year. Yeah, yeah. And it goes to sort of show that, they had, you know, they actually benefited from the COVID supply chain issues. They were able to, you know, squeeze some prices and generate some better margins than historically what they've done. You're starting to see that margin sort of revert back to, to some historical levels or revert back to the mean. Um, and so even in their last update, strong revenue growth, but profits were only up sort of high single digits. Um, so I think the market sort of looking at that, questioning where margins eventually fall. If you look, uh, go back to Australian Ethical, if you own this business, you hold it. It's a liquid, it's exceptionally well run. I think, you know, there, there's many years of growth ahead. They'll continue to take market share. Um, if you're on the sidelines, probably just sit back, sort of see where these margins land. We're still volatile with supply chains and COVID. They've made some acquisitions, so let's see how they digest them. Um, but yeah, I, I would hold, um, but, but on the sidelines, just, just watching this one. But certainly very high quality business. If you get, you know, a bit further pullback, maybe below that sort of $10 mark, you would, you would maybe look to jump back in. Claude, what are your thoughts? 
Well, I hold this one, and it's definitely a hold for me as well at the moment. I have uh, been following this for years and owned it for quite a long time. So if I were to sell, I would definitely uh, crystallize some capital gains, which I'm not that interested in doing, especially given that they they pay a uh, you know 3.5 to 4% dividend yield trailing at the moment. And, and I think that will go up over time, even though we may see a bit of a pause there uh, as they navigate through a less favorable macroeconomic environment so they have just had to raise capital at i think ten dollars thirty and i don't currently plan to participate in that capital raise because i'm not that interested in buying more shares right now however you know i don't think it's too bad either the the only challenge for the business that you've got to worry about is that um in an inflationary environment the amount of working capital they need in order to hold um inventory deliver it and then wait for payment goes up and so that can be exacerbated, for example, by the fact that when they uh, have a client, the client gets a whole solution off them. And that may be a whole bunch of different uh, equipment. It could be AV equipment. It could be security equipment. It could be storage equipment, IT storage. It could be um, software. It could all these different parts of an entire solution that they're selling a client, a corporate client, usually. And um, if there's one component of that missing because Dicadata can't get the supply, then they won't be billing. They won't be getting the cash from their customer yet, and so this means that their number of receivable, the amount of receivables goes up. Hence, they need more money and they've got debt. So basically, they need to raise capital eventually in order to keep running the company. On top of that, they are doing some capex in terms of expanding their warehouse yet again. Now, the good news is they're seeing really strong demand. The the one thing that would pro- probably definitely make me see um, want to sell Dicadata is if I think. They were at the end of what has been a really long demand tailwind. And that's because the true source of a competitive advantage for a distribution network is essentially that to, to you know the distribution network and all of the warehouses and connections and stuff, that, that's your asset. And the more, if you put more demand over that, you can usually make uh, margins go up over time. Now, that didn't happen in, in these last results. Uh, and there's a, a variety of reasons for that. And... They're all kind of understandable, and the company itself is saying that their gross margins are going to end the year at about nine percent, and the first half was, uh, I think, under nine percent, eight point eight percent. So you're expecting a much stronger gross margin in the second half. If we do see that, then I think that this price that we're currently at would prove to be okay. However, I'm just cautious because this most recent half that was reported that did signify the end of a really good strong run of uh, margins before tax being over 4%, for example. And so uh, that's what you want to see. And it's a pity to see the end of that. Makes me a little more cautious. That pushes my buy price below where we are currently. And so I just remain a happy holder because, quite frankly, I do have faith in the management team that they're going to try their best and do an honest, competent job of uh, guiding this company forward. So as long as those long-term sociological tailwinds of more demand for IT products, more digitization, all of those kind of things. Well, I think that's continuing. And if it's continuing for 10 years more, then I think we're going to be, this is going to be a significantly better company in 10 years.
Yeah, three hundred percent increase in a five-year period. If you bought those a few years ago, you would be pretty happy just to sit on them for now, I would imagine. Okay, move on to stock number nine today. It's Helios, which is formerly known as Primary Healthcare. Of course, it has a huge network of pathology laboratories, diagnostic imaging centres, and day hospitals, which is actually in the process of selling um, those day hospitals. It's also a major provider of COVID testing. Um, obviously, on the tailwind of that, Luke, a buy, hold, or a sell for you? Um, look, I think. Helios is, is likely a hold, but for certain investors, I could actually see, you know, why you would buy this. Um, massive beneficiary of COVID. Um, you know, when I first looked at the full year results, I couldn't believe how cheap it was. And then I realised, you know, the first half, second half split where they had a, a you know, big half of COVID testing at the back end of 2021. And then obviously from the onset, you know, start of 2022, that's really slowed down. So if you annualize that 2020 uh, sorry that second half um, and, and sort of look at what the full year might look like it's not super expensive on, on my rough numbers maybe sort of 10 to 11 times um, earnings um, but what I did notice was you know they haven't wasted the boon they got from that COVID testing you know, largely government funded um, their, their balance sheet is in fantastic shape um, they've paid down a ton of debt sitting on a good chunk of cash They've made one acquisition into sort of a fertility clinic. I, I really don't have any sort of view on that, but it's. I, I think that's the theme of what you can expect from this business, which is mergers and acquisitions and, and capital returns because that balance sheet's in such good shape. Um, so look, I, I think it's a hold for most investors, but if you are an ultra conservative investor, you know, you're, you're in that really defensive healthcare space, you've got a rock solid balance sheet. I think you've got a good management team behind the business. Long term, the business has done really well. They certainly managed that COVID period well. Um, you know, like I said, they didn't go out and, and just um, waste the, the the money that they received. Um, so I think if you're ultra conservative, this is something you should look at and potentially a buy. Um, for everyone else, you know, you hold it for a, for a small little divvy and, and um, you know, the hope of, of um, compounding those returns over time. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good stock from that point of view. Claude, do you agree with Luke? Yeah, I do. Uh, look, this is this is definitely reasonably priced in my point from my point of view. And if it got much cheaper, I would even argue it would be a buy, but it'd still have to go down probably another twenty percent before I'd even get interested and, and bother sharpening the pencil. But um, yeah, look, I like the fact that it's in the healthcare. I like the fact that uh, demographics and the continuing spread of COVID means that. The populate. Well, I don't like. That. <laughs> I was going to go. Surely that's not what you like. <laughs> that's terrible phrasing. No, I, I am dismayed at the fact that COVID is making the population as a whole um, less healthy, and that it is almost certainly going to make us more susceptible to other kinds of infections, which will lead to much more need for pathology. And climate change is doing a similar thing. There's some new mosquito-borne virus Japanese encephalitis I think it's called that yeah. they're talking about now in, in Victoria these are negative tailwinds for society that will definitely in my opinion mean more demand for Helios over time that is I'm, I'm a tailwind investor that's one of the things I look for is a long-term demand tailwind well that's present here the main negative point is that I guess historically this company hasn't been the best run and if you compare it to some of its peers in the same last decade the peers have just created so much more value for shareholders than helios has so that's a disadvantage um there so for that reason you'd probably want it to be a really nice and cheap price but based on you know analyst forecasts of between 20 cents and 25 cents uh in earnings per share going out say the next few years um i think that that's probably realistic and there might even be some potential upside to that so is that a hold? 
A hold, definitely a hold, absolutely. A buy, but also a, buy just, at a cheaper price, 20%. Also hold and put it on your watch list because okay. if we just do have a bit of an issue in the next six months with markets selling off as a result of interest rate rises and wars or whatever other jittery things um, hit share prices, then it could be just one that you could probably bring yourself to buy in the midst of a panic. I feel like I could definitely bring myself to buy this in the, in the midst of a panic. Okay. Uh, our final stock is from Don today. He wants the expert's opinion on Clinival Pharma. I could be saying that wrong. Please correct me if I am. It's a global pharmaceutical group fo uh, focused on developing and commercialising treatments for patients with wear or life-threatening diseases as well as healthcare for the general public. Uh, Claude, buy, hold or sell? Uh, it's a it's a tough one. I quite like the financials for this company. Um, and I think it's interesting because it's sort of a, a profitable, free cash flow positive biotech with this sort of unusual drug. Um, I, I think that's the wrong chart. Thing, but yeah, <laughs> yeah but um, it's very it's very volatile. And at the same time, I don't know how great I feel about the sort of general business model of having these sort of orphan drugs that are priced extremely highly. Um, I guess it's better than nothing for the people that suffer it, but I don't necessarily love that. And yeah, look, on top of that, you know, um, I would just recommend that people read, you know, AFR coverage of, of Clinuvel and um, that I, I'm not going to get into it because when I once quoted an AFR article, they wrote me a letter Did asking they? me to take the quote down. Yeah, so I don't feel comfortable talking about I the stock. Do it as I have. As you say it's from the AFR. I look. I did do it. I just didn't want to like get into a fight with them if they're saying this is wrong. I was like, oh, I'll take it down. But I didn't appreciate that. I have a strong personal antipathy towards the company. Okay, so it's a sell. I no comment. Like I haven't. I have no. I, that for me, I just don't feel sufficiently comfortable with um, it, uh, the the fact that they sent me an email telling me to take down this quote from the AFR. Like they yeah. should, yeah. It just it it really ruffled up me the wrong way. I did it, but yeah. I, and I'm not going to repeat it. But Fair I don't enough. like that. You don't want to give us. You don't want us to give them any more airtime, <laughs> Luke. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's an interesting business. Um, even I open up the annual report, and you read the letter from the chair and the CEO. Um, you know, they're written in a, in a very interesting way, very personable. Um, you know, they talk about, um, you know, developing the business as a, not just a financial entity, but, you know, the problems they want to solve globally. It's, it's, it's an interesting, yeah, interesting business. We'll say that. Um, as Claude said, the financials, though, are, are pretty exceptional. Um, and the main reason why is they have a drug that targets a very, very rare disease. Um, and charge a fair bit for it. Now, as Claude says, you know, there could be some ethical things around that for some people. Um, but most of that, you know, most of the funding comes from government schemes anyway. But but that is, you know, largely this business. They are looking to sort of pivot that drug into other formulations, target other diseases and, and um, bring some new drugs to market. Um, look, if I compare this back to Star Pharma, if we bookend the show between Star Pharma, you know, trying to do Again, not in the same space, but in that in that sort of biotech space, um, these guys uh, are much more likely to be the sort of business I would look at. They're, they're self-funded, they're profitable, um, you know, hundred odd million dollars on the balance sheet. They've proven they can bring product to market, commercialize them effectively. Um, you know, it's the sort of business, it's not really my space, that biotech, uh, you know, it's not my circle of confidence to really sit there and understand exactly what they're doing with these drugs. 
But if you're going to back a business, it's certainly one like that that would, would be one that attracted me to it. So look, I, I know I've said it a few times, Amber, but if you're there, continue to hold it. Management's executed really well. I give them the benefit of the doubt to um, you know, have a go at bringing some more drugs to market or reformulating what they have into some new uses. Um, for anyone else on the sidelines, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, you know, the, the financial results sort of do speak for themselves, even even sort of ignoring some of the, the question marks around management and, and sort of the, the market activity. OK, well, let's summarise the second half of the show just quickly. Uh, firstly, Australian ethical. Uh, Claude said, closer to a sell than a buy. It has a younger super base. Returns to the market are going to be challenged. Uh, a hold. Luke says, a hold also if you're there. Put it on your watch list. Uh, Wispier, Claude said, sell. Luke said, hold. Spending a lot of money getting to the US but not getting any traction. If you're on the sidelines, no need to jump in yet. Dicker Darker, Claude said, hold. Uh, Luke also said, hold if you own it. Sit back if you're on the sidelines. And he Elias uh, Claude, reasonably priced, likes it's in healthcare, buy at a cheaper price, hold, but I put on the watch list. Uh, Luke is a hold for most investors, but if you're ultra conservative, maybe a buy. Uh, Clinuville, Claude, no comment, not happy with that stock at all. Luke said self-funded, uh, pretty profitable, uh, then, then definitely it's a hold. So that does uh, finish our show today. I must say thank you so much to our guests, uh, Luke from Merriweather Capital and Claude from A Rich Life. Uh, that concludes our stocks and any stocks you'd like us to cover, please flick us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet to us at osbiz TV. And just a reminder to find all the stocks we have in the court's portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. I'm Amber Sherlock. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll see you next week.